All right. Well, happy Valentine's Day again. And if I may take a point of privilege to wish my sweetie a happy Valentine's Day. Um, I remember, I'll go with this right here. I remember um, the first time that I saw Claire, she was walking through the cafeteria. It was her freshman year. Yes, I picked on a freshman. And I was a junior. And um, so that means she turns a very significant number this year. I just lost all <laughs> chips that I had just bought. But in any case, um, she was, it was her, our freshman year. And I remember seeing her walk across the cafeteria. And I remember right where she was walking. I remember seeing her walk. And I just thought, wow, I need to meet that young lady. And uh, sure enough, over the coming weeks, we met and became friends and stayed friends for about three years. Does that sound right? It was Claire's senior year of college that um, I was on my motorcycle. Aha. And I was riding down the road, pulling out of my apartment, and she had some laundry baskets. She was on her way around to the basement of the dormitory to do some laundry. And I stopped my motorcycle. You know, hey, want to hop on with me? And so she hopped on the motorcycle, and I hit the gas hard, made her have to grab a hold of me, and as they say, the rest is history. I got a text message on Monday from Jason who said, hey, I don't know if you realize that it's Valentine's Day this Sunday. I said, yes. He said, do you also know what you're preaching on? Thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> so I expect that the altar call will be full at the end of church today, right? Um, Ha 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 ha. <clears throat> okay, well, let's, um, let's stand and read together what I just told you the verse is, because we always stand for our scripture today. So let's stand and read together. We're involved in a study on the Ten Commandments. We're at commandment number seven today, and uh, it appears very straightforward. It appears like, uh, you know, it just it says what it says, right? And it, there's what's there on the surface, but there's a lot more in this commandment. And there's a lot more that's relevant to our lives that Jesus and the Gospels want to share with us today in addition to what we read here. So let's read together from God's Word. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says, You shall not commit adultery. You may be seated. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, um, to put it simply, God is in favor of sex. He is in favor of sex. And uh, the Bible, or God is the one, remember this, who invented sexuality. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. God could have made the human race to procreate by creating us like amoebas just to tell us to just kind of and then new human beings would be born like the amoebas, amoebas do. But that's not how God designed for human life to come to be. And so I want to make sure that we understand at the beginning here that God is that sex is not something that God tolerates because it produces children. To the contrary, sex is something that pleases God. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 18 says, the Bible says, May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Friends, when it comes to the topic of sexuality, some folks assume that God is a cosmic killjoy. Now, I want to make all the parents feel comfortable this morning in knowing that one of my children is sitting here in the, in the sanctuary today. So this is definitely going to hold to a PG rating or less. So just hold tight. Hang with me. Um, God makes it very clear that this is pleasing to him. This may come as a great shock to many people that God is in favor of sex. This may come as a great shock to many churchgoers, people who've been to church their whole life, that God is in favor of sex. But listen, it is true. Don't ever tell your child that sex is impure, 
that sex is unholy, that sex is dirty, because they will go through the rest of their life dealing with that, wrestling with that, hurt by that. And so I want to tell you this morning just up front that God is for sex. You tell them that so long as we use it within the boundaries that God has given us. And you say, well, what is that boundary? Well, commandment number seven, that's what it's telling us, is that the boundary is marriage. Now, all of this leads to a second question. If we're to understand what it is that God means when he says, do not commit adultery, a second question, and that question is, um, how did the Lord Jesus himself interpret this commandment? And this is where really the, 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 uh, the nuggets of the study come from. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 27, Jesus talking about this very commandment said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Jesus just quoted what we read in Exodus chapter 20. He says to the people, you are familiar with that commandment. They say, yeah, we've heard that before, Moses. We had to memorize that in school. We know exactly what that commandment is all about. He said, okay, verse 28, but I tell you that if anyone looks at a woman lustfully in his heart, may I add, if anyone looks at a man lustfully in her heart, here the Lord, we have the Lord Jesus explaining the full intent of commandment number seven. He says that person has already committed adultery in his heart. In God's mind, commandment number seven, this is what Jesus is saying, in God's mind, commandment number seven, do not commit adultery, is not limited to just the physical act, but it applies also to the state of mind and to the attitude of the heart. It applies to lust and the sensuality and it li- that lies behind the act of adultery. You see, friends, sexual sin is an act of the heart long before it is an act of the physical body. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, come murder, come adultery and sexual immorality. Look, when a man looks at a woman who is not his wife, whether it's at the office or on the internet or in a magazine or on TV or during the halftime show of the Super Bowl, and when a man has a lustful thought toward a woman, as far as God is concerned, that man is just as guilty of violating commandment number seven as if he had done the physical act itself. And ladies, when a woman looks at a man and fantasizes in her heart of what it would be like to be hugged by him, to be held by him, to be listened to by him, that woman has violated commandment number seven. She has put her love for her husband behind her love for that other man. Um, As far as God is concerned, that person is as guilty of violating commandment number seven as if she had gone off and slept with the guy for real. The point is that as followers of Jesus Christ, God is not calling us to live lives of just outward sexual purity. God is calling us to live lives of also inward purity. And that leads us to our third question. Our third question is, why is this such a big deal? Why does God make such a big deal? Why does he keep hammering on this and hammering on this in the scriptures about being faithful? Why does he keep making us such a big deal about that? Well, three reasons why. Number one is because as Christians, we are only as powerful for God as we are pure. As Christians, we're only as powerful for God as we are pure. Listen to what God said in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse 9. He's speaking to the Israelites about... Uh, you know, they're preparing for battle. They're preparing to go into the promised land. He says, when you are encamped against your enemies, keep away from everything impure. Verse 14, for the Lord your God moves about in your camp to protect you and to deliver your enemies to you. 
your camp must be holy so that he will not see among you anything indecent and will be forced to turn away from you. Friends, this was Samson's problem. Samson had enormous spiritual potential. He had so much that he could have accomplished for the Lord. And yet, Samson was, God was never able to get him to the point where he could fulfill all of his spiritual potential because Samson tripped up in this area, because Samson was not pure in this area of his life. Mark it down, friends. Sexual purity and spiritual power walk hand in hand. Spiritual power in your family, spiritual power with your coworkers, spiritual power serving at the church. These two things are blood brothers, spiritual power and sexual purity. They are blood brothers. The two go hand in hand. I love what Robert Murray McShane said. He's the great preacher in the 1800s in Scotland. He was an evangelist there. And here's what Robert Murray McShane said in a letter to one of the other preachers who was doing similar evangelistic work. He said, and I quote, How diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest of care. Remember that you are God's sword, a chosen instrument, a chosen vessel to bear his name in great measure according to the purity of the instrument will be your success. Friends, if that was not great, I'm sorry, it is not great talent that God blesses. And if it was true that it's great talent that God blesses, then God would have blessed Samson and he would have been this great man for God. And yet Samson, because he fell short, because he was impure, he had to be, he was judged. And it's not great talents, but rather great likeness to Jesus, especially in this area of moral purity. And then Robert Murray McShane goes on to conclude, he says, a holy Christian is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Friends, if we are serious about being an awful weapon in the hand of God, if we are serious about seeing that power of God active and flowing in our life, then we've got to be serious about sexual purity. Second reason why this is so important and why God just keeps hammering on this issue, hammering on this issue all throughout the scriptures. Number two is, why does God care so much? Because of the authenticity of our witness hinges on this very fact. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11 says, I urge you, Peter says, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul, particularly in this area. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans, amongst non-believers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he returns. Friend, our world is far too sophisticated to tolerate anything less of us as followers of Christ in this area. Men, when we laugh at crude jokes, when we hear other men make lewd comments about women and we say nothing, when women look at magazines that are, or, or, or participating in lunch, luncheons with other ladies where there are sexually loaded topics that are being shared there and say nothing, we are absolutely destroying our platform to be able to share Christ with those people. That's what the Bible's saying. Number three, why does God care so much about this subject matter? Why is he hammer on it all the time in the scriptures? Because... Number three, sexual sin brings people into bondage. And this is true of non-Christians just the same as it is true of Christians. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 12, Peter said, But these men blaspheme in matters that they do not understand. They are like brutes, creatures of instinct. Verse 14, Their eyes are full of adultery. They never stop sinning. 
They seduce the unstable for the easily swayed. They are experts in greed and accursed brood. Well, who is Peter talking about here? He's talking about the Hugh Hefners of his world. He's talking about the Snoop Dogs of his world. He's talking about the Bill Clintons of his world. And yes, I did say that. Yes, I did say that. And I'm not saying that to throw stones at the guy, but let's recognize what that man did when he was in office. And uh, he was, it was a horrible sin. We have a sexual predator as a president of our country, friends. That is not something to celebrate and be proud of. Verse 19, Peter goes on to say, watch what he says about these men. He says, these men promise freedom, um, sexual revolution, that is, sex without consequence. That's what they promise. And, but get this, while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for a man is a slave of whatever has mastered him. Listen, the enslaving power of sexual sin is phenomenal. And sexual enslavement, friends, is a cruel taskmaster. It is a vicious master, driving people deeper and deeper into depravity until they lose all balance in life, until they lose all control in life. That's what this taskmaster is. Friends, that's why God makes such a big deal over this. Because he does not want us to be enslaved to this. He wants us to be free of this. That's why Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 32 says, But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. And then verse 33, blows, that is blows, physical blows to the body, something similar to that, and disgrace are his lot. Um, and his shame will never be wiped away. In other words, the sin may be wiped away, but the shame, he says, is never wiped away. And this is why Hosea in chapter 4 and verse 11 said that sexual sin takes away the understanding, our good senses, our ability to make right decisions, to be in control of ourselves. He says it, it does that. It takes away the understanding. Friends, this is a major problem in our world, and it is not it is not going away. It's not going away. In fact, it's going to get way worse before it ever gets better. And it's a problem not just among non-Christians, but it's a problem amongst believers as well. Some of us here know about the incredible addicting power that sexual sin, sexual impurity can have in our lives. And this is why God is so fanatical about warning us to stay away from this area of sin. Now, all of this leads to our fourth question, and it's the question we ask every week here, which is, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I, you know, I, I get what you're saying this morning. I mean, how could I not, right? I get what you're saying, but can you give me some practical some suggestions, some, way that I, some ways that I can uh, um, make sure that I stay free of this uh, enslavement, that I can make sure that I stay pure in my life? So let me share a few, four suggestions with you how you can stay away from sexual sin. Number one is stay away from those places and things, stay away from those places and things that tempt us. Um, some of you at the start of the year said, I'm going to go on a diet, right? You said, I'm going to give up such and such, or I'm not going to eat this, or I'm not going to go to that place to eat those things. Well, if you're on a diet, one of the worst places that you can go is to the Golden Corral, right? <laughs> Standing in line at the buffet is not where you need to be if you're on a diet. You know, you don't need to be standing over by the dessert table. You need to just you need to put yourself in a place where those things are not around you. And so just the same, um, we need to make sure that we stay away from those places and things that tempt us. 
Proverbs chapter 5 is talking about a woman who represents sexual temptation. And the Bible says, Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 8, Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Well, what does this mean practically? What does it mean practically? Well, this is where I get to meddle with you a little bit, okay? What that means is, you don't go over to your boyfriend's house, you don't go over to your girlfriend's house when the roommate's not there. Late at night, sit down on the couch, and watch romantic movies and cuddle. That's what, that's what that means. That's what that verse is saying. It means that, men, you don't stay up late at night by yourself watching TV late at night without your wife there in the family room with you. Or maybe she's already fallen asleep you're still sitting there watching TV. No, no, no. You put yourself in a situation where temptation is very close by. And so you need to not do that. It means, ladies, that you don't go out for lunch or for coffee with some man at your office. And women that say, hey, you know what? We're just friends. We're just going out together. We're just friends. If you're having to justify going out to lunch with a man or a woman in your office by saying we're just friends, you've already crossed the line. That's what that means. It means that you need to disable the adult movie channels the very minute that you walk into your hotel room. It means that you don't hang out with people who have potty mouths and potty brains who are going to lead you to, and your mind to places that will enslave you. It means that you have your computer in your home in a public space where the rest of the people in the house are coming and going and traffic is there. And let me say, this is me meddling just a little bit more, my personal opinion, take it or leave it, if you have a teenage son in your home, they do not need a computer in their room. It needs to be in the family room. It needs to be in the kitchen. It needs to be in a public space in your house that's part of you being a parent. That's part of you protecting their innocence. It's making sure that you are keeping that stuff where they can't, um, can't access it. Folks, the easiest way to put a fire out is to not let one get started. Right? The easiest way to put a fire out is not to let one get started. Number two, second suggestion for you, and this is especially for the guys, is to watch where you let your eyes go. I love what Job said, Job chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. Listen, gentlemen, it is impossible to lust after what we refuse to look at. And ladies, can I say to you that you can do all of the Christian brothers that you've got in the world a big giant favor? I know it's wintertime right now. Everybody's, you know, bundled up. But when summertime comes and, and it seems like, well, we can minimize what we wear, you're not doing your Christian brothers any favors. Amen, guys? How far we got to go? Do we need to backtrack a little bit? Nobody just wanted to say. That's what it was. <clears throat> kind of wondered. Maybe we need to make a series out of this thing. So, <clears throat> Be modest. Be modest. Number three, if you want to stay away from sexual sin, the Bible says control what you let into your mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33 says, Bad company corrupts good character. Friends, if we hang around with the wrong things long enough, sooner or later, those wrong things will rub off on the way we think. They'll rub off on the way we approach things, the way we let our guard down at times when we shouldn't. And it's not like these days a person has to go out looking for explicit material. I mean, you're, you don't have to go on the offense to find this stuff. Rather, you have to live on the defense constantly guarding yourself because it's everywhere and it's always accessible. And so because of that, what that means is if we want to guard our minds, 
then no follower of Jesus Christ who is serious about sexual purity in their life, no follower of Christ has any business subscribing to Showtime or Skinamax or HBO or any of that other crude stuff that we allow into our homes, period. I believe if you're serious, ladies, you have no business reading things like Cosmopolitan Magazine and Seventeen Magazine that are totally taking your mind and your thoughts down a direction that is not honoring to God. Nobody wanted to say amen, right? Folks, we've got to watch what we allow into our mind, what we allow ourselves to view, what we allow ourselves to participate in. You say, but Gordon, you know, God bless you. you know, I can help, I can defend myself. Like, I can handle this stuff. I can handle this. Well, I hate to tell you, but the Bible says you're wrong. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 27 says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes burning? Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes catching on fire? Number Verse 28, can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? I mean, ask Samson if he was able to defend himself when temptation showed up. Ask David if he was able to defend himself when Bathsheba was on the rooftop next door. I mean, when we enter into and allow those sorts of things to come around close to us, it allows for us to, to be vulnerable. And in those moments, the Bible says, hey, look, if they got burned, we'll get burned. And so we dare not fill our mind with sexual impurities, else it will eat us alive. Instead, we ought to be filling our mind with the word of God. And this is why David said, thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Friends, the word of God asks, acts, acts like a built-in filter to protect against sexual impurity. When we look at other men, women, when we look at other women, men, and we see them through the eyes of Christ. It fortifies what we see, and it makes sure that we look at them with purity in our eyes, purity in our intent. A final and fourth suggestion in how we overcome this and not be enslaved to it is that we need to rely on the Holy Spirit's power instead of our own. What that means is we need to walk out of the door not saying, God, I got this today. No, we need to walk out the door every day saying, God, help me. God, give me your strength. Empower me, Lord. Put my sinful desires, uh, squash them, Lord. When when that stuff shows up, God, when when opportunities for me to be tempted arise, Lord, you stand strong with me, Lord. You give me your strength, your power. And friends, this is not a one-time event turning this over to Jesus. Rather, this is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day surrendering of this area of our lives to the Lord. Sexual sins is powerful and strong for me to be able to defeat it in my own strength. And so we need to say, God, I need your strength to help me to defeat this. Lord, I don't want to just walk into this on my own. I want to walk through this day on my own. But I need your power and your strength enabling me to overcome it. And uh, let me say that if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, one of the things you get when you trust in Jesus as your Savior is you get forgiveness of sins. You get that. One of the things that you get when you trust in Jesus is you get eternal life in heaven. You get that. But there's also another thing that you get is you get a power, the power of God to live in the world and do so in a way that honors him, that you're not just out there on your own struggling. I hope you'll think about that.
All right, well, let's conclude. Robert Murray McShane said, A holy Christian is an awful weapon in the hand of God. You say, but Gordon, as much as I want to be perfect, and I mean, I do want to be perfect, I can't be perfect. I can't be. And you know what? You're right. You can't be perfect. You can't live sin-free. Perfection left the earth 2,000 years ago. But we can be passionate in this area. Just because we can't be perfect doesn't mean that we give up. Just because we can't be perfect doesn't mean that we just go with whatever, right? No, we can be passionate in this area of our life to live a life that's holy and pleasing to God. And this is what commandment number seven is calling us to. It's calling us to passion for personal holiness, not just on the outside, but also on the inside. You say, well, Gordon, all that you've said is so good, but in my case, it's kind of like trying to shut the barn doors after the horse has already escaped because I've already blown it in this area. I've already messed up so bad in this area. I mean, it's too late for me. No, no. It's not too late for you. It's never, 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 never too late. It is never too late to look to want personal integrity in your life. It's never too late to repent of sins. It's never too late to return to God. It's never too late to live in a way that's pleasing to Him, to set a clean break between you and the behaviors that were displeasing to the Lord and that were self-destructive in your life. It's never too late to get your control back of your life. And friends, if you want that, it may take radical steps. Radical steps like going home and saying to your boyfriend or your girlfriend that lives with you, hey, look, you got to move out. Or I'm packing up my stuff and and I'm leaving because I want to honor God with my life. Radical steps. It may mean going to uh, calling calling Dish Network when you get home and shutting down all the HBO and Cinemax stuff that's coming into your house and saying, I don't want any of that anymore. It may mean cleaning out your video library, getting some software that blocks things from popping up on your computer. It may mean moving your teenage boy's computer out of his room into a common space in your home. It may mean setting some rules for computer usage and, and texting in your home. You are the parent. Be the parent. And that leads me to my last comment, friends. If you have sexual sin in your life, we all need someone. We all need someone who we can ask us the hard questions. Somebody that we have to be honest with. An accountability partner, if you would. Jesus said in John chapter 3, what we're doing in that situation is, he said, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light. You see, friends, sin thrives in the darkness. Sin thrives in the secret recesses. And if we have somebody that we're confessing sins to, that we're accountable to on a regular basis, it brings that sin out into the light, and that sin cannot live in the light. Friends, if we're serious about personal holiness, then we need to expose this in our life to someone else, someone that can keep us accountable. And so I ask you, is sexual purity a driving passion in your life? Do you really want sexual purity? Because, friends, you can have it every Thursday and every Friday for the last nine years. I sent a text message or a phone call to a friend of mine that I went to school with, and I tell him what's been going on in my life. I tell him how I've been doing in my life, including in this area. And I'm honest, and I tell him myself. And sometimes... I'm like, Gordon, I just I don't want to have to tell him what's been going on in my life. But I do. Because I want that accountability in my life. 
I want to make sure that anything that's in the dark recesses, that it's brought out into the light. I don't want to be captive to sin. I don't want to be a casualty of sin. And I want the power of God operating in my life. I want to be an awful sword in the hand of a mighty God. Let's pray together. Most gracious Lord, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, anticipating this time of communion, if there are things in our lives that we need to repent of, things that we know are not honoring you that can become deeply self-destructive, Lord, we want to take these quiet moments to confess that. Lord, we don't want to be captive to sin. We don't want to be destroyed, our families destroyed, our marriages destroyed by sin. Lord, we pray that you would cause to rise up in us a passion for purity in this area of our life. Some of us need to take some radical steps purge some things out of our home, to protect ourselves, to get on the defense. In these quiet moments, Lord, may we vow to you that we're going to take those steps. Holy Spirit, stir in our hearts. Guide us and direct us, we pray in Christ's name.